Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we'll be talking about eco-socialism in Canada, the Green Party leadership race, and the cancellation of Stuart Parker. So, hello, Jay. Hi, Clementine. Um, so I guess this is episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you feeling about the podcast? Honestly, I'm feeling amazing about the podcast. Yeah, eh? want to say more about that? <laughs> um, the reception we've gotten has been fucking fantastic. Um, we've had a lot of messages and emails. Um, they've been like really, really positive. And it's just so nice to see people um, feeling so like seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Those are some words that we've been getting a lot. Um, and yeah, it's also, you know, we've been having people uh, joining the Patreon and stuff. And normally people just yell at me on the internet when I say these things. They don't give me their money. Um, <laughs> so that's a, a really nice change yeah it's extremely affirming and like we both had so much anxiety and fear about this project um like we were talking about in the first episode about principles like it took a lot of courage for us to like get to a place where we could you know go and just say say what we think um and I don't know like for me um I used to be like afraid to be interviewed on podcasts at all, let alone have my own podcast because I'm a writer. And like when I write, I felt like I could have like hypervigilant control over what I said and I I could scan it and I could like double check, triple check to make sure that like nothing I said could be construed as like problematic in any kind of way. You know, I could like, uh, I could like, try to check for potential cancellation, um, in, in my work. And so like in the past, like I, I would be, um, asked if I wanted to do podcast interviews and I would get so anxious. Cause I'm like, wow, when you're just talking off the top of your head, like it's a lot harder to be that hypervigilant about what you're saying. Um, and it's really easy for people to construe things, um, in a non-generous way. And so like the idea of talking about these topics you know, in general is like stressful and hard, but like talking about them in this format too, um, I think adds an extra layer of anxiety um, to the mix. For real. Yeah. And so, you know, we worked on this um, podcast for like a few months before we actually launched. And I think when we did launch, it was really scary to like put this out into the world. And it was like a leap of faith that, that people were ready to have these conversations and that there were people out there who wanted to have these conversations and who would hear us and be generous and be kind and be supportive. And still it was scary. Um, and I'm really grateful with uh, that we've had the reception that we've had. It's been incredibly affirming. Um, as Jay said, like a bunch of people have signed up for our Patreon, which we really, really appreciate. Um, we didn't mention it in the first episode, but we do have a Patreon. So We'll put the link at the bottom and it's just patreon.com slash fucking canceled. With two L's. With two L's because we're Canadian. Um, and we're going to, um, the episodes will always be freely available, but we're going to have bonus content 
maybe some um, shorter bonus episodes and also some writings and things for our patrons. Yeah, I've already thrown some writing up there. Uh, I'm happy to get uh, feedback and stuff on it from, from people. Yeah, and, like, I guess I'm just, like, really, I just wanted to, like, name how much we appreciate the vulnerability of the people who have messaged us you know people have been talking about like crying in their car like listening to the pod um and like just people have messaged us saying like how much it means to them that you know we're saying that they're not bad and you know yeah and people have even been like I'm like deep in it, you know, like I'm like afraid of all my friends, like I'm, I'm canceling people and, yeah. and I don't want to be, and I don't know how to get out of here <laughs> yeah. and like, thank you so much, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I just want to shout out to, uh, the cancelers. The cancelers among us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Secretly listening to the pod. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Yeah. Um, and it's okay if you want to be a patron in secret. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Everyone has to know. <laughs> It's okay if you're listening to this in your headphones, in your bathroom, crying. Um, yeah. That's fine. You're welcome here. And yeah, it's just been, it's been really, really, really affirming. And it's still scary to do this work. And like a lot of people has, have also really acknowledged that. Like a lot of the feedback that we have received has been, you know, people thanking us for our courage and for being brave enough to talk about these topics. And I really appreciate that too. Because yeah, it's it's scary and it's vulnerable um, to be having this conversation. So, yeah, thank you to all of our listeners and everyone who is supporting Fucking Cancelled. Yeah. Um, okay, so today uh, we want to, as we said, we want to talk about eco-socialism in Canada. But this is part of, like, a more broad kind of theme that we want to take up mm-hmm. on the pod. So we've kind of framed it as, like, what the left is like, what we hope to do about it, and what it'll be like when it's done, which is like a hilarious reference to a 12-step, um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, but basically, that like falls into the three main goals of the podcast of like critiquing the nexus, analyzing the nexus, um, offering people some insights into how to get out of the nexus, and then like what kind of a n- new different version of of leftism can we move towards? Um, and so this um, episode is kind of falling into the third category or the third sort of uh, section of ideas that we want to explore. Um, and we're basically calling this the quest for the offline left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I'm sure that many among our listeners have also like had this thought well, you kind of realize at a certain point that like almost everything that you think of as politics is kind of just like you and people who look a lot like you um, and who talk a lot like you posting things on the internet on various forms of social media. And a lot of it is um, sort of like policing the boundaries of what is allowed to be said by who, when, yeah. where, and for what reason. Um, it's a lot of like rhetorical stuff, stuff based around like etiquette. Um and and then yeah at a certain point i think a lot of us are kind of like well what if we wanted things to change in the real world a yeah. little bit yeah um how would we do that like you know and and we are you know ostensibly leftists and there's like a long tradition of leftists trying to change things in the real world so what can we learn about that like how can we start moving towards something a little bit more material yeah yeah and i think like the sort of uh 
neoliberal capitalism that we're in right now is so incredibly alienating. Like the alienation level has gone extremely high and we're all, you know, interacting with each other through social media. And so, um, yeah, there's a really good um, Jacobin um, YouTube video that's like uh, a discussion that's called Log Off, um, where they talk a lot about these ideas where basically, you know, we sort of accept social media and online life as like a substitute for like the richness and fullness of like what could be possible um, if we weren't so alienated from each other. And there's lots of things that like online life is like substituting for. And one of those is like our political lives, you know, and we don't have the answers, which is part of why we're doing this work is like, we also feel super alienated and don't feel connected to a strong, vibrant political, you know, community that is like taking real action. Um, we are also stuck in the social media void of like posting, posting, imperative to post. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we are seeking, actively seeking, and that's why we're calling um, these types of episodes our quest for the offline left. It's like we want to look into what different people are doing. Um, and like also going along with like the principles that we brought up in the first um, in the first episode, like we aren't necessarily looking for the right answer or the only answer um the correct right answer to this we're looking to see what people are doing um and like we want to we want to keep an open mind be curious and really be open to like different strategies that people have in terms of creating real concrete material change right and i think that people have an immense amount of energy for political undertakings um but that right now it's mostly being channeled into a simulation basically the internet is like a simulation of politics yeah um it's not like the internet like isn't real like it is real but it really does channel everything into this rhetorical realm yeah um where we're just basically like yelling into the wind and especially because of the the um the way that the nexus functions as a kind of bubble that that keeps people inside of it and then keeps other people outside of it it creates like an echo chamber effect where we are posting at each other and like i'm sure those of you who are like on social media like are totally aware of the phenomenon that i'm talking about where like you look through your friends stories and they're all posting like the exact same infographic or like whatever the political Mm -hmm. issue is of the day and it's like everybody's posting it you're seeing it over and over and over again and like posting it is supposed to feel like meaningful political action but it's just posting it to people who have probably already seen it because they are also in the same bubble. So, you know, and we're not saying don't post, like, you know, I'm obviously on social media and stuff and it is what it is, but like, we are also saying what else could there be? Um, And like, what could be some alternative actions or alternative um, avenues that our energy could, could go down? For sure. And I think, before we get into the next section, like, I just want to say, too, that, um, well, there's this guy, Mark Fisher, who's mm-hmm. amazing, and he wrote about what he calls capitalist realism. And capitalist realism, I mean, it's a whole concept, but the the fundamental important part of it is just that, like, people right now, um, because of the conditions under which we live in, like, capitalism, are almost unable to imagine the end of capitalism. And, and 
what he writes is that the end of the world seems more likely or more it's, it's more easy to imagine than the end of capitalism yes. is, you know. And I think that a big part of why our politics have become so symbolic and so simulated um, is because of that. People, a lot of people don't really believe that there is a future that doesn't involve capitalism, yeah. you know. Um, but there are people in the real world who are organizing um, around a program of political action that is a socialist one that is trying to do away with capitalism as we know it. Um, and that is an ecological one. Yeah. Um, and it's called eco-socialism. Yeah. And I was uh, joking earlier. Um, what if we all stopped canceling our friends and became eco-socialists instead? <laughs> like, can you imagine if all that energy was yeah. diverted towards yeah. this political project rather than the, like, I don't even know how many millions and millions of hours of, of you know, posting and canceling. Yeah. So, you know, and we, again, are not um, not saying that this is, like, the only answer or the correct answer, but this is um, an area where where work is being done. And I think it's really interesting. Um, and so we want to we want to talk about that with you on the pod. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhat new to us, too, I think. Like, we, you know, I, we're both socialists and we're both in, interested in the environment, but this sort of particular... Um, combination of things that that's being called eco-socialism is something that we're kind of just getting into ourselves, you know, or yeah. I, I should say myself. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, also I think, and I'm sure it will come up multiple times on the podcast, but like we both think of ourselves as anarchists mm -hmm. um, and anarchism is like important to our politics. And so um, political strategies that involve electoral politics or that involve the state in some kind of way, at least for myself, although I did, always vote like I was always very sort of skeptical of electoral politics to the point of like not being open to it at all mm -hmm. um and I think I'm at a point where I really I want to I want to be pragmatic I want to be practical I want to move towards real concrete action in the here and now with the systems that are in place and then from there move towards something even better yeah um, because I think, and I think eco-socialism really um, draws this out, that ecological collapse means that we don't actually have that much time to be um, perfectionists and to sort of wait for, you know, the perfect, pure ideological, you know, like we're just going to overthrow the government tomorrow. Like, it's not going to happen. And so in the meantime, what are we, what are we going to do and how are we going to affect as much positive change as we can? Yeah. So I did a little bit of like background research on eco-socialism to just give us a, a little rundown. Um, an early thinker in eco-socialist thought was Murray Bookchin, who um, is a really interesting theorist. He started out as an anarchist. Um, I guess he, he died as an anarchist too, but he developed his own kind of philosophy of anarchism um, that he called communalism. Um, it's also kind of, it overlaps with democratic confederalism is the other thing that he called it. And um, it's basically this idea that free autonomous communities the size of towns or cities basically um, should federate voluntarily um, and that the only sort of like overarching structure should be this this confederation um, rather than like a national state like a nation state um, and they would have this 
this anarchist relation with one another where the only kind of there's like governance happening, but not government, um, so to speak. And he also made this, he, he tried to marry this with, with, with ecology and, and noted that we live in like the nature is a system and that we are part of the system. It isn't um, just a fact to be, to be dominated, to be, um, acted upon it is the the overarching system in, in which we live mm-hmm. you know it's the mm-hmm. water we swim in yeah and we're a part of it mm-hmm. um and so he likened that to this confederalist idea where he was like we need to be in a federation with nature basically mm-hmm. you know that we can't expect to dominate it and have that go okay yeah um and that we shouldn't want to yeah um so he's a really interesting guy. We'll put him in the show notes. He was also, he's very influential on the Kurds in Rojava. Um, if anyone's interested in that too, you should check it out. Um, eco-socialism was then developed further in the German-speaking world a lot. Um, uh, there was, a, in particular, an East German dissident named Rudolf Barrow, who was important in early German uh, eco-socialism. And then basically in the 90s, eco-socialism took off. It was taken up by... A lot of Marxists, a lot of ecologists, um, people who are looking for a sort of like different paradigm. Um, and as as ecological devastation became more and more apparent, obviously people were like, we need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that one of the most interesting um, theoretical contributions that eco-socialists have made is this idea of a second um, contradiction within capitalism. So there's two, well, the, the main sort of like contradiction within capitalism that that they added to was this idea that there's this um, this thing that can happen within capitalism called the crisis of overproduction. And the crisis of overproduction happens when um, capitalism is producing things very, very effectively and efficiently. Um, and what it means to produce something very efficiently is that um, you aren't paying your workers very much. Mm-hmm. Because if you are paying them a lot, then it's not very cost efficient. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so what you can end up with is is this problem where you're actually producing things so efficiently and producing so much of them um, and paying your workers so little that the working class can no longer actually afford right. the things that they're producing themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's the crisis of overproduction where paradoxically capitalism can be so efficient in its production that it can produce a depression um, or, an, or an economic crisis, basically a crash. But then what eco-socialists pointed out is that there's this crisis of underproduction that can also take place. Um, And that's what happens when capitalism is so efficient at extracting resources from the natural world that it ends up with no resources left. Um, So that could be an example could be, you know, lowering the water table so much that you can't use the water for industrial purposes anymore or agriculture. Um, It could be destroying the topsoil through monocropping so that you can't grow anything anymore. Um, But it could be things also like, neoliberalism tending to produce these situations where public transit is like gutted mm-hmm. um, and then you can't move workers around as efficiently. Right. So they pointed this out and I think it's a really interesting theoretical contribution. Um, yeah. As for what eco-socialists actually want, um, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a socialist program that really emphasizes the importance of ecology, um, which is definitely something that let's say like the Soviet union, um, was not very interested in, um, you know, Soviet industrialization policy has resulted in like the Aral Sea disappearing. Yeah. It's almost gone. Like it's like a puddle now. There's whole abandoned like 
like literal ports that are just in the desert now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, um, Sylvia Frederici, who's a Marxist, talks about how like in within Marxism, within Marx's ideas, he talked about like industrialization as this like necessary process that would then lead to the conditions under which communism could like come to be. Um, and so basically you'd have like this capitalist stage um, that would um, sort of like modernize everything and um, industrialize everything. And then through that, you'd eventually be able to have communism. Right. But like. Basically, in her critique of Marx, she points out that, like, there's no ecological analysis in that whatsoever. And, like, what we're seeing is that, like, you know, the ecological world is not just resources. Um, and it's not just there to be totally um, sucked dry. It's not sustainable to do that, obviously. And that's what we're seeing as capitalism is, like, running its course is that, you know, we are getting to the point where, like, the planet is not going to be able to continue to sustain human life like the mass amounts of like um extinction climate change um and ecological destruction at like unheard of uh levels and scales so yeah i really think that like any kind of socialist um program really needs to be centering ecological concerns in fact those are like our most urgent concerns um, so I think that they should really be like front and center and and prioritized. Um, and another thing that that you and I have talked about with regards to like the idea of eco socialism is just that like um, ecological collapse and climate change is such an emotionally loaded issue for people. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure that there's like people who started to dissociate just from me talking about what I was just talking about. For sure, um, it's so hard to think about. It's like it's like it creates like a full like embodied like nervous system response for me to like talk about um climate change and like mass extinction and all of this it's like it's an existential threat it's terrifying um not to mention like the level of of grief um about species loss and habitat loss and so on and so forth and so like I really think that a lot of people cope with this by basically going into like denial about it like because to like hold that level of distress in our minds all the time would be, like, too much to deal with, you know? So, like, for me, like, I like to watch documentaries. I like to watch nature documentaries and stuff. Um, but, like, I'm always, like, kind of, like, really triggered, like, waiting for the the section at the end where they're, like, but yeah. now the seas are full of plastic, yeah. you know? And they show, like, how fucked up everything is. It's, like, it's incredibly disturbing. And so I think that there's a lot of energy that is is, like, our grief and our rage and our fear around ecological collapse is, like, in our bodies and for a lot of people, we're coping with that by, like, pushing it down and and ignoring it to the best of our ability because it feels so overwhelming and we do not know what to do. Um, but I also think on the other side of that, that if we could find meaningful action on this issue, it would be a hugely, like, galvanizing topic. Like, I really for think sure. it could move people and it could motivate people to act um, because people really do care about this. It's, it's incredibly... Um, especially people in our generation and younger. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a, an extremely personal issue for all of us. Um, because it's literally, it has to do with our very lives and our futures, you know? And so, um, I think that if we can find a way to approach ecological catastrophe that is not like frozen in despair, but is actually about moving towards meaningful action and change, um, like that's, that's incredibly promising 
So For that's sure. like part of what's really appealing to me about eco-socialism. For sure. Also, I want to say that politics that are based around the working class and the environment are politics that are, by their very nature, mass politics. Yeah. That affect virtually everyone. Yeah. Um, and have a clearly defined sort of like um, class standing in our way. Um, and we can come up with policies that would benefit everyone, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of rhetoric about how, um, you know, climate change will disproportionately affect uh, various kinds of marginalized groups. And that's true initially. But when we're talking about, you know, mass desertification, um, total like biodiversity loss, um, you know, ecosystems just completely collapsing, like the water table disappearing. Like what happens when there's no more water in California? Yeah. Like what happens to everyone in L.A., right? Um, They invade Canada and take our water? Like we laugh, but is that what's going to happen? I mean, I don't know. I don't know either, you know? Um, And yeah, I don't I don't want to find out. Yeah. Like ultimately there is one planet that we live on. And so this is an issue that deeply affects and impacts everyone. And so it's an issue that should hopefully um, move people towards action. Yeah, for sure. Um, So we wanted to offer an example of an eco-socialist platform um, to give people an idea of what is actually possible. What is sayable Mm -hmm. within the political sphere? Yeah. Like what you could actually put forward as a program, right? so this happened in the context of the Green Party of Canada, so the, the federal level of the Green Party. Um, the Green Party in Canada um, popped up about 27 years ago, right about, um, and it's been led by this woman named Elizabeth May for most of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always been, you know, I never voted Green, first of all, because it was like a small party, but secondly, because it, it's always been very like centrist, mm-hmm. like just kind of like, you know, there's a joke that the, the Greens are conservatives on bikes. Right. Um, they're sort of like, yeah, well, we should have like a carbon tax um, and like more national parks, you know. Um, and other than that, there's kind of basic basic liberals uh, with some conservative policy, politics and some more social democratic politics, but nothing nothing special. I've always been like, if I'm going to vote for anybody, it's going to be the NDP. Yeah, and I mean, also, I guess it's like you know, unlike the states, we don't we don't just have two parties, but we basically have two parties because. It's either the liberals or the conservatives that win, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like the left vote that 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 sort of dreams of the liberals or the conservatives not winning usually votes NDP right. because it's of the smaller parties, it's the one that is a little bigger. Yeah. It gets more votes. And yeah. so it has a longer history. Yeah. And, yeah. And so basically, yeah, like I've I've tended to vote well, I've always voted NDP. Um, because I was always like, you know, this seems like the most the most likely um, to actually work, even mm-hmm. though it never has. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I actually think that um, Dimitri Lascaris's platform and like what he was putting forward, even though he didn't end up winning the leadership race, it was very appealing. And if that was the green um, platform, I would definitely be moved to vote green. Yeah, fuck yeah. Like, here's the thing if this guy had won, me, 
an anarchist, I would have been fucking like going door to door, like yelling at people to vote green. Absolutely. Like I would be fucking like banner dropping, fucking like painting giant graffiti murals, fucking whatever, like literally any yeah. thing. I don't even know how campaigns work. I, I was just like, <laughs> <Obviously. graffiti." laughs> um, but uh, no, yeah, I would be like, I would put on a fucking suit and tie and I would go and talk to people and, and get them to vote green, you know, um, because I've never seen a policy platform like this yeah. in Canadian politics before. Yeah. Um, so what happened is that he, well, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll say the platform first. Um, so he wanted to create uh, what he calls, okay, the, first of all, the platform's long, so I'm going to be talking about this for a little bit. Okay, all right. let's buckle up. Let's buckle up. So he wanted to create the People's Healthcare Service. So that would be a total like, revamp of universal healthcare in Canada, which we already have, but he wanted to add dentistry, pharmacare, elder care and mental health care Fuck yeah. to our universal health care. So all of that would be free paid for by the government. Yeah. Um, he would also want to train more healthcare workers um, and he would want to devolve governance of healthcare systems in first nations to those first nations. Okay. Um, so have them run their own healthcare services, like okay. with assistance from the federal government. Amazing. Um, so all of that I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. And honestly, like, I mean, I know we have a lot of American listeners and like in, in the United States, it's like there isn't even universal health care. Um, but I think like the fact that we have universal health care is, is great, but it is also like partial. Um, and people mm-hmm. like dentistry, it's like it's fucking expensive. Man. It's expensive and it's not um, it's not optional. Like if people's teeth are falling out or they need a root canal or something like that, like these are very serious yeah. health issues. Like yeah. it's not a joke. Like people can be like in really serious pain. For sure. Like it's, it's, and obviously these things as well, like getting your teeth cleaned is like preventative and like it's people who have money or who have benefits who have, you know, access to that kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so. But these things are, I, I think that they're right. And like the fact that they're denied to anyone is barbaric. Yeah. It's absurd. Um, And if we want, if we're serious about, you know, defunding the police, for example, like we need mental health care to be fucking yeah. uh, covered by the state. Yeah. It's like, absurd. Absolutely. Like, people... Yeah, anyways. Um, okay. When it comes to social justice, he has this phrase, deep and wide, which is interesting. Um, basically focusing on eliminating poverty as one of its first elements, which mm-hmm. I'm just like, fucking thank you. Yeah. Um, because what is more just than eliminating poverty? Yeah. You know? Um, extending social services and improved representation for what he calls equity-seeking groups, so mm-hmm. marginalized people yeah. um, of various kinds. Um, so that's pretty, you know, improved re- representation is like a, you know, it's a a normal kind of like liberal identitarian goal, um, and I don't think that it's a bad thing either. Um, but, yeah, I'm really interested on how he's just like, fuck it, we're eliminating poverty. Yeah. We're not going to have poverty anymore. Yeah, exactly, you know? yeah. Um, through... I mean, he wants to do it. There's a lot of things that go into that. But yeah, we'll get into some of them in a bit. Um, in terms of indigenous rights, he wants to uh, he wants the government to reject terra nullius, which okay, is the, yeah. the doctrine of, of discovery, yeah. um, which basically says that we, being like Europeans, like showed up in North America and it was an empty, uninhabited land. And that's why the crown was able to like claim to it. Yeah. The crown being the crown of England. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, And, uh, yeah, so he wants the government to reject that, which would basically undo the legal framework for a lot of Canada's um, claim to this land, Mm -hmm. Um, which would mean that we would be forced to, like, renegotiate a lot of treaties with First Nations, which I'm totally in favor of. Yeah. Um, uh, He wants to restore sovereignty to First Nations, and he wants nation-to-nation relations to be um, 
uh, actually a thing because yeah. like we have a currently we have a liberal government who talks about nation to nation relations and it's a joke and it's a complete joke yeah. um I, he didn't say this but i think like first nations should have like their own representation in parliament like along with the fucking provinces yeah like you know um and honestly i think he was a little bit vague on his indigenous rights stuff but it's a really complicated topic honestly and um i'm sure that if he ever got into power like he would have more uh more precise kind of like policies um then we get to the environment mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of different things here so when it comes to fossil fuels he wants net zero emissions within 10 to 20 years i'm like good go big or go home he wants to phase out fossil fuels completely mm-hmm. uh, he wants to ban fracking and tar sands extraction mm-hmm. um so just end extraction of oil from the tar sands yeah which needs to happen which needs to happen um and he wants to socialize the oil industry so it'd be state-owned and then reskill the workers. So that way the government could phase out oil production mm-hmm. and then give all these dudes who are working on these fucking oil rigs out in Alberta different jobs. Yeah. You know, and those guys like there's there's a honestly there's a tendency within the left to be kind of like snobby about these yeah. like oil worker guys. And like I'm sure like lots of them are in person sort of like. I don't know, maybe they're not nice to be around or something. I mean, but I I'm sure some know. of them are very nice I'm to sure be around. I'm sure lots of them are very nice to be around. They're, they're like fucking like cod fishermen from like Newfoundland who can't fucking fish cod anymore because there's none left, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, and just people who are looking to make like real money in an yeah. economy that fucking sucks. And they should be fucking reskilled, you know? Yeah, and there's like a, a tendency to um, sort of put, to act as if um, there's a contradiction between like labor and like workers and the environment or to act as if working class people are like the enemy of the environment because it's like working class people are in jobs that are like environmentally um harmful or destructive the way that they're done under capitalism uh-huh. um but it's like that doesn't need to be the case at all for sure it's like oh cool so you're in, in you're in an industry that is actively destroying its own basis for existence exactly by sucking all of the oil out of the earth yeah. that, and then leaving behind these like toxic fucking pits yeah and yeah. like i mean cool. like the the like the health impact on on workers doing some of these types of work etc yeah, etc cetera, et cetera. yeah yeah um when it comes to mining and forestry um he wants to regulate and socialize the entire thing mm-hmm. so um, basically, all the big corporate operations would be socialized, and then everything else would be like heavily regulated. Um, it's worth noting to our American listeners and also our Canadian listeners that Canada is heavily dependent on resource extraction economically. Um, we always have been. We were basically like a giant, like open pit fucking mine mm-hmm. um, and like beaver fur factory. That's like why Canada was settled. Yeah, you know? and yeah. it's still the case. Um, we've cut down just enormous numbers of trees in Canada over the past couple hundred years um, and exported them all over the world. Um, Yeah, so those are important industries. Um, And they should be fucking socialized, man. If we're going to be doing forestry, there's no reason why private corporations should be making the money off the fucking trees that grow out of the fucking dirt. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? Um, Transport. He wants to transform it completely. He wants a new national strategy for affordable, green, inter- and intra-city transit. Yeah. I'm like, fucking thank you. Again, Canada is a gigantic country. Yeah. It's like, it's, I literally, like, we live almost as close to Europe as we do to British Columbia. Yeah. You know? Um, Like, Mexico City is pretty much the same distance to Montreal as BC is. Yeah. You know? Canada's a big fucking country. I hitchhiked across Canada last summer, and it took... A long fucking time, yeah. you know? There's so much Ontario in between here <laughs> and, and anywhere else. Um, but yeah, you know, like, our transit system is fucking ridiculous, man. Yeah. 
it's it's so fucking hard to get anywhere. And I'm like, you know, I see these like um, high speed rail systems in other parts of the world. And I'm like, you're really telling me that we can't we can't build a fucking high speed rail system in Canada. We're like a rich industrialized country, man. There's no fucking reason why we can't do that. And it's like, oh, well, there's not enough like passengers to use it. And it's like there fucking would be. Yeah. If it existed. Yeah. If you could get to BC and like. Oh, absolutely. You know. And everybody has to fly to BC. Like, yeah. That's how people get there. Yeah. So. If you drive, it takes like a fucking week. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And it should be green. It should be electric. Yeah. You know? Okay. Uh, it comes to conservation. Um, he wants to increase protected area of Canada to 40% of Canada. So 40% of Canada would be protected. Um, and he wants to reverse biodiversity loss. So basically, like, identify anywhere where there's been biodiversity loss and just throw fucking money and resources and people at it to I reverse mean, yeah, it completely. That needs to happen. I'm like, that's all I fucking want. Yeah. Animal rights. He wants to recognize animals as sentient and eliminate cruelty to animals. So he's not, like, getting rid of, like, farming animals for meat, um, but it would completely change how animals would be raised. Wow, I am. Yeah, which I'm strongly in favor of. Like, Clementine's vegan. I'm not, but I honestly kind of just dissociate about, like, what happens to animals. Um, and I think it's fucking awful. And I, I really wish that we, like, as a society could decide that that is not fucking acceptable rather than it be sort of like an individual moral or a consumer choice, which I'm not opposed to at all, but I really think that it needs to take place on like a deeper, more structural level. Yeah. We need to say like, if we are going to be killing animals, they should have one bad day at the end of their lives. That's what I think. So I really appreciate that. Um, agroecology, he wants to reorient away from corporate monocropping, um, promote permaculture and reverse topsoil loss. Mm -hmm. So important. So important. Like Canada has the prairies, yeah. which is just this gigantic area that we have just planted with like three crops for a bazillion kilometers yeah you know and you like drive across it and it's just like an empty flat plain of crops that we're growing for export yeah um, and like the topsoil is fucking disappearing not only there everywhere yeah um but yeah it's a fucking problem yeah pollution he wants to stop exporting waste because we export a lot of our waste which is ridiculous yeah that's crazy yeah like, they, they, like, send it. Like, they send, like, our garbage. To, like, the Philippines. Yeah, to, like, the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, wasn't there, like, a diplomatic incident recently where one of the countries was like, we don't want your fucking garbage anymore? Uh, yeah, but I don't remember the details of it, but yeah. yeah. So he wants to establish a management strategy for our waste instead, which, like, fucking obviously, yeah. you know? Um, and he wants to make polluters pay for their pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is obviously, yeah, smart. So that's mostly it for his uh, ecological or environmental um, platform. Um, then there's foreign policy. He wants to move away from like U.S. leadership in foreign policy, basically. Um, and he wants to end sanctions on Venezuela, Cuba, and Iran. He wants to institute um, BDS um, on Israel um, and demand that the International Criminal Court try Western war criminals as well as just like the official enemies of the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, and he wants to resume normal relations with Iran. Which uh, all makes sense to me, for sure. Um, okay, and then there's this economic plan. It's fucking sick, man, this guy. Um, so he calls it just green well-being. Okay. So just as in, like, justice. Yeah. Um, so for the GDP, uh, you know, the GDP is one of the main ways that we measure the economy, right? Um, and he's like, we need other ways to measure the economy because the GDP is not the most important thing. The, the gross domestic product is just how much money we make. Right. Right. But he's like, there's like more important things or at least other important things. Right. 
And so he's like, we need to add three other economic indicators to guide the government. Um, resource footprint, okay. which we would try to minimize. Um, inequality, which we would try to eliminate. And quality of life, which we would try to maximize. Okay. Um, I've always been like, it's crazy that we just measure like our economic yeah, it's um, performance by GDP alone. It's yeah. like, just, like, what the fuck, man? Like, what does it mean yeah. if people are fucking, yeah, anyways, you, you know. Um. Yeah, he's like, how can we reorient away from endless consumption? Um, he wants to reform banking away from for-profit, like, debt extraction. He's like, banks should, if they exist, they should fucking, like, serve Canadians, not exist to fucking squeeze money out of poor people. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this idea of the circular economy, which, quote, returns to nature what it takes out and is run democratically rather than by corporations. So I'm like... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Having evil corporations run everything is not a great idea. Um, and then economic planning. So he's like, I mean, and obviously, like, if we're going to have a just economy, it needs to be planned to some extent, right? We just, we can't let a handful of fucking hundred billionaires. Yeah run our economy because that's what they do. Like having access to that much capital means that you're running the economy. Yeah. Right. So he's like, we need to um, have these, he has five, five plans for the economy. One, a plan to address the ecological emergency and resource dependency. Two, to reorient towards a green economy. Um, Three, for universal health and drug care. Four, to eliminate poverty and reduce inequality. And five, to invest in education and research. So these are some ways that we can direct our economy democratically towards a world that is not a bleak post-apocalyptic desert. Um, and then he's talking about the means to plan. So he's like, if we are going to plan the economy, like how, we need to be able to do it, yeah. right? Currently, it would be pretty tricky for the government to do a lot of this stuff um, because the government is a bourgeois capitalist state. Yeah. You know, it's set up in such a way that it is difficult to do this kind of thing. One of the the cardinal freedoms under liberalism is the freedom to do whatever the fuck you want with your money. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, we want to expand democratic control over the economy, nationalize key industries so that the state can exercise control over them. Industries like rail, telecom, and resource extraction, and also appointing a public economic interest commission to identify companies that would be better, that would be, that would serve Canadians better if they were socialized. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's fucking sick. There's a couple more things. Um, one is workers' rights. I'm really stoked about this too. I'm most to massively promote unions, fund a national labor commission staffed by union reps um, that would advise the government, um, give part-time workers the same benefits and rights as full-time workers. Wow. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm like literally eat shit capitalist um, and establish a department of labor to support unions and identify areas where there's not enough unions and then make unions. Yes. I'm just like, fucking thank you. Yes. You know? Um yeah, and then the last one is justice. So he wants to defund the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is basically our like federal cops, by 50% and reallocate all that money to marginalized communities in various kinds of ways. Um, ban carding, so the cops aren't okay. allowed to just like stop you and ask for ID. Um, do a human rights audit of the RCMP every year. Train for nonviolent policing. Require prisons to develop personal rehabilitation plans for each inmate like personalized for that mm-hmm. inmate. Mm-hmm. Um, ban solitary confinement as torture. Yes, obviously. Fucking absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, see prison as a last resort. Um, tax corporate litigation to pay for public defenders. So like when corporations like sue somebody and like fucking make a bunch of money, like yeah. that, there's just like an automatic tax taken out of whatever they make. Also tax um, all lawyers in general and also 
force all lawyers to do 100 hours of pro bono per year. I mean, yeah. Which is hilarious. He's a former lawyer, by the way. So he's probably <laughs> just like, fuck all of you. Like, um, probably hates all his former colleagues. Um, yeah, and hold corporations accountable to the same standards as individuals. Yeah. So that's his platform. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I feel like... I feel like there's sort of a tendency um, in the social justice world um, that I have, you know, spent so many years in that immediately brings my brain to a critical place where I want to be like, well, this could be better and this could be better and this could be better. And I feel like I've been really trained to like think that way and read that way um, and to always look like with an extremely critical lens at things, which is like, obviously like there's a place for that and we should be trying to improve things. But I'm also like, you know, if something like this got into power, it would be completely unprecedented. Like it would be completely, um, it would be such an incredibly huge improvement from anything that we're seeing now, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, I really, I, cause I know that probably a lot of our listeners are, you know, also in the social justice world and have been um, sort of, really um indoctrinated into a way of thinking that is like very absolutist or like just incredibly critical and always wants to look at how things could be better yeah um and it's like absolutely they could be um you know but it's like this would be profoundly better than anything that we have or have had um as far as the canadian government goes yeah Fucking absolutely, man. And when you, you know, if you want to be, like, pragmatic, too, it's like, yeah, okay, maybe it would be better if we just, like, got rid of prisons completely. But, like, how are you going to do that? Yeah, it's going to be a process. It's not going to happen, like, overnight. You know? And, like, obviously, it's just a fact that, like, a government that was, like, we're just going to let everyone out of prison tomorrow is not going to get elected. Yeah. There's just, like, simply no way that it would happen. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah, so in terms of, like, electoral politics, you know, this is, you know, he's trying to be basically, like, reasonable enough that it like appeals to large numbers of people right um yeah so he didn't win spoiler yeah i mean it's kind of depressing that you read all of that and got everybody excited and then now we're like he didn't win yeah he didn't win um but here's the thing the green party had like eight rounds of voting and in each round they eliminated like the lowest scoring person and he was either second or first in every round. Yeah. And then came in second. So yeah. he got 10,081 votes and enemy Paul got 12,090 votes. Or it's extremely close. 45.5% to 54.5%. Yeah, it's extremely So he close. fucking almost won, man. Yeah. He like literally was off by like a couple percent. Yeah. 10%. Um, and I think that's fucking amazing, man. It is amazing. It means that almost half of the Green Party was willing to vote, or people who were registered to vote anyway, um, were willing to vote for an avowed eco-socialist. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention is that he, he wanted to institute a fucking wealth cap of yeah. $500 million. Fuck yeah. You're literally just not allowed to have more than $500 million. Yeah, I mean, I don't like, think you need more than that. What the fuck you need more <laughs> than $500 million for? Are you fucking crazy psycho? Um, but yeah, you know, he's an avowed socialist. He's an open socialist, and he got he almost took over the Green Party. Yeah, I mean, when I first heard about this, I was definitely, I felt like, even though he did end up losing, like, I still felt, I don't know, I kind of hope that, like, I have not felt in a long time, like, in terms of just, like, the fucking despair and, like, the fucking extreme, bleak, dystopic timeline that we're in. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that this guy, like, almost took 
you know, it's the Green Party, so it's it's but it's still a major party, you know? Yeah. Um, and he almost won and like he was extremely close. So I feel like that's definitely um inspiring and gives me a little bit of hope or something, you know. Yeah. Like the Greens, they have they have seats in parliament, yeah. you know, like they're represented in in the government. Yeah. Um, and they like, I don't know, I would I was just like when I heard about this guy, I was just like salivating at the idea of this guy in like a leadership debate for like a federal election, just saying what's up to yeah. these fucking puppets. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And like calling the NDP out for being fucking sellouts. Yeah. Calling the liberals a bunch of fucking criminals. Yeah. You know, like this is like what we need. And he's like young and cool and like, yeah. Um, you know, very well-spoken, like interesting guy, you know? Yeah. And he's not afraid to like call it eco-socialism. Like he's, yeah, he's clear and transparent about what it is that he's trying to do. And he's incredibly appealing yeah. to people, you know? Um, yeah, so that was the result of that election. Now, we could also talk about who won, you know, because that is also important. Enemy Paul won, and she was basically, like, the furthest right of all the candidates in the Green Party. So the Green Party split. It means that there's, like, a big, there's a big gap, you know? Um, and unfortunately, like, yeah, it's, it's a contradiction within the party that needs to be kind of resolved in some way. Um, but yeah, Enemy Paul is a, a diplomat and a lawyer from Toronto. Um, she was like part of like NGO world a lot. She was all part of the, all these like hubs and like leadership conventions and like think tanks and stuff. Very, um, a lot of it was like quite woke. Um, her platform includes, uh, her platform is like not bad either. It's like social Democrat stuff, like, but just like, you know, it's like protect the boreal forest, comfort, uh, conservation, banning like Arctic mining, um, regulating stuff more, you know, she wants like a more carbon taxes and like to put duties on stuff that's imported from countries with like shitty carbon policies and stuff like that. She does want like universal pharma as well. Um, you know, uh, free university, um, divesting from cops, real reallocating funds to fund like actually useful stuff. Um, yeah, but she doesn't want to socialize anything. Right. Right. She doesn't care about increasing union representation. Right. Um, she's not a socialist. Yeah. She's a social Democrat of sorts. Basically a left liberal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like to me, like her platform is not that interesting. I'm like, yeah, like protecting the environment is good, but the NDP, whatever they come up with is probably going to be the same kind of shit, like in terms of protecting the environment, mm -hmm. you know, like they're also like, we should protect the forest and like not frack or whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at least the federal NDP. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I feel like that was, like, a really clear breakdown of um, what happened. Um, it's so unfortunate that he didn't win, but he came super, super close. And honestly, like, yeah, I have a lot of respect for him for, like, the work that he put into that. And, like, the fact that he was able to get 10,000 votes for an eco-socialist platform is, like, a really, really big deal. And it's something that we should be, you know, feeling inspired and enlivened by. Um, because it is, it's, um, it's, it's not just like we were saying, you know, with the posting. It's, like... It's not just ideas like he was really pushing to be able to have the power to like actually enact this stuff. Um, yeah. And like to do that kind of like electoral politics work, it's it's not easy. And like there's obviously like tons of barriers in his way of of bringing forward like a platform like this. But he got really far considering. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And he's still there. Yeah. Right. He didn't leave the party. Um, he's like basically trying to form a socialist caucus within the green party, mm -hmm. um, which is dope. Yeah. Like push the green party to the left as much as possible, 
um, and pop up next time there's a leadership election and, and try to win again. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, we went to this like Zoom conference with Dimitri yeah. um, and this other eco-socialist that had been running for the Green Party named Mariam Haddad. Um, and they were sort of talking about like what's next, too, yeah. you know, like what they want to do. Um, they were talking a lot about transpartisan organizations, which basically would have eco-socialism as their goal and would cooperate with eco-socialists in any party. Which I think is very smart. Yeah. They're just like, the goal is eco-socialism. It doesn't super matter how we get there as yeah. long as it's like a feasible path, you know? Yeah. So if we can support NDP people who are into it, even liberals who are into it, because yeah. I, I guess in theory there might be, um, yeah, and, and building up a, a caucus within the Green Party. Um, they're also talking about building up a movement and a party. Okay. So we need yeah. like a mass movement of people who are just like militant for anti-socialism, or for, <laughs> for, for eco-socialism. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, which I thought was like a really important point too. It's just like we can't put all our ba- all eggs in one basket um, and having mass power is like a really important goal. Currently, we suck at it on the left. Um, but having like a, a well-organized eco-socialist like street movement would be yep. very fucking cool. Totally. You know? Yeah. Diversity of tactics. Yeah. You know, and he was just talking to you about, um, he's like, when you're talking about this kind of thing, you can just lead with policy. He was like, I would talk about my policies and people who were like scared of the word socialist would come around. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. You know, totally. when, you, when you explain to them what it is. What you like, actually huh. mean, yeah. You know? Totally. Um, they're like, you would have everyone living in caves. And he's like, actually, no. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that people need more than $500 million. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's true that most reasonable people couldn't explain to you why anyone would need more money than that. Yeah. It's just like an obscene it amount is. of money. Yes. You know? Even that is like an obscene amount of money. He even like admits that, you know? Yeah. He's like $500 million is like a fucking huge amount of money, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, so building a strong left caucus in the Greens and building up a, a, a social movement to support eco-socialism. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, so that's amazing. Thank you for for the report. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. And um, yeah. Okay, so... Um, Clementine's homework. Yeah, I was going to talk about... Um, Stuart Parker's cancellation. So I definitely um, got the more controversial um, topic. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, but I'm going to try to do it justice. Um, and again, I'm going to... Um, yeah, because I was actually kind of nervous about talking about this. And I'm probably going to feel nervous talking about many things on this podcast. Um, because that's the nature of what this podcast is. Um and so it helped me to, like, look at the principles um, that we talked about in the last episode and to ground myself in them. And I would actually love to invite, you know, the listeners to also try to ground um, in some of those principles when engaging with um, the more controversial topics that we um, talk about. Or just in general, you know, to have some generosity and some curiosity um, and some tolerance, uh, things like that, as we uh, discuss so, basically, you know, we were just talking about um, the Greens um, at the federal level. Now I'm going to be talking about a different party called the BC Eco-Socialists, which is a provincial-level um, party in British Columbia. Um, and so, yeah, we talked about how, like, the Greens are, like, kind of, like, the smaller leftist party. Like, ecos- the BC Eco-Socialists is, like, an even smaller um tiny party. Um, And basically, you know, there's a lot of discussion within, you know, leftists who are trying to take the electoral politics, like, route 
like how do we try to change a party from the inside or do we try to like branch off and create like a more radical party? And obviously like um, Dimitri Lascaris and like everything that Jay just like informed us about is an eco-socialist trying to work within a pre-existing relatively large, although it is the kind of like the smallest large party or mm-hmm. one of the smallest large parties um, to work within that um, to bring forward um an eco-socialist platform. And this is an example, um, Stuart Parker and the BC eco-socialists are an example of, you know, a uh, trying to create an entirely new party that is explicitly um, eco-socialist from the beginning, right. which is like a different strategy. And I think there's like lots of arguments about what is the better strategy. But like, to me, I'm like happy to see people trying whatever they think is going to work. Um, I'm happy to see people trying anything, to be honest, um, and to to be strategizing, and I don't pretend to have all the answers myself. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, Stuart Parker, you know, he is an academic as well as a longtime political organizer and politician, and he's been in the NDP and he's been in the Greens. Um, and the BC Eco-Socialists um, became a party in 2019. Okay. Um. And so it's a, it's a very new party, and their slogan is further left than the NDP, greener than the Greens. So they're trying to be, like, a very overtly um, ecological and socialist um, party. And so, yeah, it's, it's a new party. Um, I'm not going to go into, like, all of the details of um, what their platforms are, but we will— um, Definitely in the show notes, give you the link to their website so you can check it out. But it's definitely like also eco-socialist. So it's going to be a lot of similar things to what Jay was just talking about. Um, But I'm going to be talking specifically about a scandal that happened. Um, And the reason that we're talking about this is because, well, it's it's news within eco-socialism in Canada, but also because it really falls underneath the sort of topic of the podcast because it shows very clearly the nexus at work and the way that the nexus can um, unfortunately work to undermine people who are trying to make concrete political change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to just give you a basic um, outline of the timeline of, of what happened um, in this in this scandal, which we're calling the cancellation of, of Stuart Parker. So, um, on September 12th, um, Stuart Parker was on Facebook. This is where these things always start. Um, and was in a thread, um, in which he was trying to defend a local activist, um, named Judy Graves, um, who was experiencing harassment because she had supported a billboard that said, I heart J.K. Rowling. Um, And so I'm sure that our listeners are aware of the controversies um, with regard to J.K. Rowling, but basically, um, in case for some reason you're not aware, J.K. Rowling um, is a woman who wrote a book about a wizard. Apparently. (laughs) As far as I know. Um, to be just, honest, just kidding. I've read her book. I have not. <laughs> so to be honest, I don't actually really know that much about it, but I know she's like quite famous. 
Um, and, and on Twitter, she, and to be honest, I don't know the full extent of what her comments were on Twitter, but she has made various, um, statements on Twitter that I think some people would describe as gender critical and others would say are turfy. Um, so comments that, um, people are upset about because, um, of the impact that they may have on trans people. And so... Basically, anyone who's sort of like in the nexus knows that J.K. Rowling has become like a hotspot of cancellation um, and the the transitive property of cancellation. So basically, J.K. Rowling is is canceled. Um, She's considered highly problematic now. Um, She's considered to be a turf and to be transphobic. And um, I don't think that she considers herself to be transphobic. I'm not sure the full extent of what she said, so I can't speak to it. But um, there is this like a centralizing sort of uh, strategy within the nexus that it's like, you know, you made this statement, that means you are this, and that means anyone who supports you is also this, right? And we've seen this happen many, many times in many, many instances, and J.K. Rowling is a good example of it. And so in this case, um, what happened is you know, a a local activist in BC was basically supporting the existence of a billboard that supported J.K. Rowling. And then this activist was also being harassed um, and was experiencing um, cancellation um, because now she was being described as transphobic. And then... And and getting death threats. And getting death threats and getting um, some pretty intense um, consequences. Um... For, yeah, it wasn't just like a nice, polite, we think that you're transphobic. Um, she was getting harassed. Um, and so, basically, Stuart Parker then came into a Facebook thread about this and was stating his support of this woman um, and was stating that he didn't think that um, harassing her, giving her death threats was appropriate. Um, he didn't think that she should be blacklisted from things. He didn't think that she should have, you know, impacts on her career because she had stood up for this billboard. Um, and he also went on to say, basically, um, he sort of paraphrased what he understood J.K. Rowling to be saying, but he in no way said that he endorsed or agreed with J.K. Rowling, but he was making a distinction between what he understood to be her beliefs and like this sort of blanket accusation of transphobia. So anyway, he made some comments on the internet. Um, On September 21st, John Horgan, who's the leader of the NDP in BC and who's currently in power, called for an election, which was a snap election. So it was an unexpected um, kind of immediate uh, call for there to be an election campaign. Um, So all of the parties um, had to like jump into action to start um, preparing for an election. And then... Also on September 21st, um, a member of uh, the BC Greens um, named Nicola Sperling, who's also um, an activist and she has a YouTube channel, she posted a screenshot of the comments that Stuart Parker um, had made on Facebook and claimed that the BC eco-socialists have a transphobe as their leader. And she wrote... I'm just going to quote her. She said, in what way are the BC eco-socialists a left-wing party when they have a transphobe as their leader? Looks like a socially conservative party masquerading as a progressive environmentalist party to me. Um, 
so this is like a big accusation and obviously um we know how these things work on the internet it happens fast um lots of people were really upset about this um people were asking for him to step down and literally the next day september 22nd Stuart Parker posted his resignation on his website. Um, and on September 23rd, the BC Eco-Socialists announced on their website that Stuart had stepped down. Then a little while later, on October 4th, the BC Eco-Socialists announced that they actually were pulling all candidates from the race and they weren't actually going to go forward with trying to... Um, have a candidate in this election. And then on October 24th, the election happened without the BC eco-socialists running. Um, and so that's basically the rundown um, of what happened. And so, yeah, I think that this is like a really interesting and like illustrative example of the nexus coming up against um, eco-socialism in this case. Yeah. Um, and I want to just read a quote um, that Stuart Parker um, wrote in his um, resignation letter, which you can read on his website, which we'll also link in the show notes. So he wrote, the primary voting issue in this election must remain climate justice. Nothing can distract us from what is truly at stake, the very survival of our species. Every day we spend discussing whether it was wrong for me to defend a local Vancouver activist from a campaign to blacklist her from employment is a day we do not spend discussing John Horgan using the RCMP as Royal Dutch Shell's brute squad to drive a fracked gas pipeline through the territory of the Wet'suwet'en people. And we cannot afford the distraction. And so... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware, but um, currently there's like a huge uh, political standoff happening in BC um, with the Wet'suwet'en um, hereditary chiefs who are saying no to a pipeline that is being forcibly um, put onto their land and their territory. And obviously this is um, an issue of uh, the Wet'suwet'en people's sovereignty over their land. And it's also obviously an issue regarding climate change and ecological destruction that we do not need another pipeline. Um, and so this is all happening. And um, the BC eco-socialists are against this. Um, and, you know, basically Parker's saying, we're trying to create meaningful political change with regard to these issues, which are extremely important. And now the conversation is being put onto this issue that traces back to J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and Stuart Parker, um, he does not consider himself to be transphobic. Um, he denies those, those um, allegations. It's also, like, pretty, um, some of the articles that were, like, written about this, like, are pretty, like, don't have a lot of journalistic integrity because they... They, like, take what he was paraphrasing, what he believes J.K. Rowling thinks, and he was not saying that he thinks that, and then they've just attributed those quotes to him as if he said that he thinks that, um, which he didn't. And also, um, the BC eco-socialists themselves have a policy, have, like, a number of policies around how they plan to support trans people. 
And so some of the things that the BC eco-socialists um, stand for is they want to ban um, conversion therapy. They want to make it so that um, people can choose the gender markers on their identification at, or choose not to have a gender marker. They want to simplify um, the process of legally changing your name. And they want to fully cover gender-affirming surgeries, medications, post-operative care, counseling, and rehab. So I'm like, that's a pretty good... Those are some pretty good things. Yeah. That's a pretty good platform. I like, know, like, what else? Like, That's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's other things that they could add, but I'm like, that's really great. And so... Very solid. Like, yeah. And so I'm like, this was actually, like, a party that had, you know, policy in place to support trans people and obviously cares about trans people's health and safety and rights. Um... But this, this scandal about transphobia actually resulted in them not being able to even run in the election. And so, yeah, it, it brings up, like, some questions. Um, like, was this helpful? Did this, did this ultimately help anyone, um, you know, getting uh, Stuart Parker to resign, getting um, the the uh, party not to run any candidates. And you might say, like, well, they didn't need to not run any candidates. But in their statement, when they were saying why they were choosing not to run any candidates, it's on their website, and I'll quote, they said, given the nature of the allegations and to prevent our candidates from further um, attack or reputational damage, we have elected not to field any candidates. And so you can think about what might happen. Like, if, if somebody else filled his shoes you know, they're going to be sort of dealing with the transitive cancellation. Like, if this already went from J.K. Rowling to a billboard to another activist to Stuart Parker, it's not hard to imagine how that can now go to the next person who who leads the party. For sure. And the executive director of the party also quit. Yeah. I emailed her and she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, which is so unfortunate, you know, because it sounds like this party was trying to do, like, some really important work. Um, but it totally got derailed by this accusation. So this is like an incredibly controversial topic. Um, and I want to try to, I want to try to handle it with some grace. Um, so I'm going to do my best, but there's a couple of things that I really want to make clear. The first is that I am absolutely not trying to cancel, um, Sperling. Sperling. Yeah, Nicola Sperling. So I'm not trying to cancel Nicola Sperling, and I'm not asking us to make Nicola Sperling into the bad guy in our narrative. I'm not trying to point fingers at her or to ask people to, like, whatever, harass her. Or send her death threats. <laughs> yeah, or anything like, fucked yeah. up like that. Like, yeah. absolutely not. Um, and I think it's important when we're, when we're critiquing um, cancel culture and the nexus that we don't just, like, reverse this shit and start doing like the exact same shit in reverse. Um, totally. It's really important, right? So it's like, like we've said to the cancelers out there that are secretly listening to the pod, like you're welcome here, you know? And, and, and like, yeah, I've taken part in this shit in the past. Many of us have. And like, I'm sure that, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to assume that Nicola Sperling is coming from a good place, that she's trying to make the world safer for trans people, that she cares about trans people. Um, and she's acting in, you know, from a place of concern and care. And that very well might be true. Um, and so I'm going to assume good intentions. But I don't think that it is actually a useful strategy. Um, I don't think that Stuart Parker 
is transphobic. Um, I've like listened to some of the stuff that he's said on the topic. I've listened to some interviews by him and and read his work. And it seems to me that he's not. It seems to me that he respects um, the autonomy and dignity of trans people and wants trans people to have their needs met and to be okay. Um, it's But if you go and you check out his website, you will see that he is, in fact, and we didn't know this when we first heard about this scandal, he is, in fact, an anti-identitarian thinker. So he actually has, like, a lot of critiques about the nexus, um, about um, identity politics and this particular way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes even framing things in that way can can be framed as whatever, transphobic or otherwise oppressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem to me that he is um, transphobic. And also mm-hmm. he was a leader of a party that has a pretty good fucking platform in terms of trans. Um, it's certainly not a transphobic platform. It's not a transphobic platform. And that's the platform that he was running with. Um, and he was, you know, it ended up with the party not even being able to run. So, yeah, I guess there's like a few things to think about. Um, and it's like, first of all, is Stuart Parker transphobic? Like that's, the statement has just been taken for granted now that he is transphobic. I don't actually think that he is. So I think one question would be, is he transphobic? And what are we basing this off of? Was his statements, um, was his statements in that Facebook thread actually evidence of transphobia? Another question would be like, do we need to agree with Stuart Parker exactly? Um, Or to take it a step further, do we need to agree with J.K. Rowling exactly to think that Stuart Parker would make a good leader of the B.C. eco-socialists. Right. You know? Or if the B.C. eco-socialists would be a good party to be in power. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so there's just a lot of things that are being collapsed into one, right? Um, There's a lot of assumptions that are being made um, along the way. Can I just add that one of those assumptions is that Sperling makes is the idea that because the BC eco-socialists have a guy in their party who would defend a woman who is getting death threats or whatever, yeah. that they are therefore not a left-wing party. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's that's her logical jump, right? Yeah. And it's like, is that true? Is that true? Or is that completely made up? <laughs> yeah, and to me, I'm like, in fact, I mean, he's trying to defend people from harassment. That's something that I think leftists should do. Um, I also want to ask, like, are trans people really protected or benefited by this, you know? Um, Because I think that they actually had a good platform in terms of um, supporting trans people. And also, trans people also live on the planet and need, um, you know, to address climate change. Like, these these issues are not um, separate. Like... Yeah, like have, there's no space station for trans people to go to. Yeah, like, it's like we don't have, like, trans issues over here and then climate issues are for cis people or something, you know? It's like, no, like, climate issues are also the issues that trans people care about and face as well because they are members of the population living on a planet that is, you know, facing the potential of extinction, you know? And labor issues as and well. And labor issues, right. Are trans people not workers, right? So it's like, you know, the idea that, like, only... um Stuart Parker's perceived ideas about trans people are like the only relevant, that's the only relevant information for deciding whether or not Stuart Parker or the BC eco-socialists would, would benefit trans people is to me, it's kind of missing the point. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so is the best way to deal with this 
to to cancel him, to demand his resignation? Um, or is it to say, like, you know, I don't agree with J.K. Rowling. Um, I don't appreciate you defending her. But it seems like you're a good politician and you have a policy that supports trans people and you're also doing other important political work. Like, I just don't see why it had to go the way that it did. Um, and, yeah, so... We've definitely headed into a thorny uh, topic. For sure. It's very sensitive. It's a very sensitive topic. Um, And I think that, like, turf shit, like, let's just call it turf shit, is one of the most, like, it's it's one of the ways that we can really, like, shut shit down, like, immediately. If something is turfy on the left in, like, in the nexus— in spaces that value trans people, um, obviously people get really upset about TERFs. And I guess I should say what TERF stands for. I'm kind of assuming that my listeners know, mm-hmm. um, but it stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists. Um, and as far as I understand, I think that TERFs don't call themselves TERFs and they see it as kind of like um, a slur even, and they call themselves gender critical feminists. And often they're or, or just radical feminists. Or radical feminists. Yeah. And often they're like, they're often cis women who, in various ways, don't take trans women's identities seriously, don't see trans women as women. Some of them do see trans women as like a type of women, but they really um, are committed to this distinction about like biological females versus not. Um, and they and they they tend to um, they tend to be very concerned about what they call women's safety. And so in this case, they're talking about cis women's safety and they often perceive or frame um, trans women as like threats to their safety. So Yeah, and in that way, they're actually extremely identitarian. They're extremely identitarian. Though, yeah, they're, they're like a different type of identity politics for sure. They, yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so I'm not sure what J.K. Rowling said, um, but it does seem like she's um, a gender-critical feminist. And again, like, I'm trying to talk about this with nuance because it's like, I, okay, I'll just say fundamentally, trans women are women. I value the safety and dignity and um, well-being of trans women and absolutely, like, don't want anything to happen to trans women, and if anybody tries to like fuck with any trans woman anywhere near me, you I will. Fight them. Yeah, I will fight them personally. I will intervene on that situation because trans women deserve to live in safety and wellness and love and care, just like everybody else. Um, and so I don't tolerate any kind of like hatefulness or um, dehumanization. Period. Um, and I also want to consider or imagine that perhaps there's people listening to this podcast who consider themselves to be radical feminists or gender critical feminists, and maybe are listening to this podcast because they themselves have experienced cancellation for um, the views that are considered to be incredibly problematic within the nexus. Um, and so I want to offer like generosity and compassion to those people, even as I stand firm in my um my insistence that that trans women deserve safety and deserve to be okay and 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 should not be dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And I think that like a lot of um a lot of these radical feminists or turfs or 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 whatever you want to call them would 
would kind of like perhaps um, take issue with my framing because I think a lot of these women would say like, well, we just want safety for ourselves, you know? And so we, we're not trying to say that we don't want trans women to have safety. We're saying that we want safety for ourselves. And so I feel like this is a really big issue that is like bigger than this, this episode. Um, but it was kind of impossible to talk about the Stuart Parker situation without getting into this a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And because it's such a big and thorny issue, like I wanted to do it justice and like actually talk about it and unpack it. Um, so I think that there's a lot of people within the nexus who it's like, even the fact that I'm talking about this is like totally fucked up. And it's like, there's no space to have this conversation. It's immediately seen as violence. It's immediately seen as harmful um, to trans women. And I'm like, I can see how some of the ideas that are put forward by these, um, these like turf thinkers can actually be really negative um, for trans women, like if they, if they got power behind them, you know? And so I totally understand the fear around that. I also think, and I think part of what Stuart Parker was trying to say is that responding to these ideas with like direct, intense censorship, harassment, in some cases, death threats, um, just sort of like marking these ideas and the people who say them and the people who defend the people who say them and the people who defend the people who defend the people who say them, like whatever, it just, it doesn't actually help us to unpack these ideas or to address them or to figure out like what might be the underlying needs that, that these people are trying to meet with these ideas, you know? Um, and so in terms of thinking through that, I just want to talk about an article that Kai Cheng Tom wrote. Um, and basically I can't remember the name of the article off the top of my head, but we'll link it in the show notes. Um, but Kai Cheng Tom is like an incredible um, writer and thinker. She wrote the book that's called um, I Hope We Choose Love. She's also someone who uh, critiques cancel culture. And she is just an incredibly generous, um, ethical thinker and writer who I really highly respect. And she wrote this article that's basically about what, what would it mean for trans women and TERFs to like find solidarity um, and to find common ground. And it was a very controversial article. Yes, it was. People were really, really mad about it, but it's super in the Kai Chang Tom style. She's incredibly kind and she's incredibly generous. And so she wrote this article in which, you know, she firmly, like how I have just said, like she firmly does not um, accept trans misogyny or transphobia. She is a trans woman herself. She obviously wants trans women to be safe and okay. Um, However, she's like, I actually want to like extend this generosity because I think that this like, these two groups just being super mad at each other isn't getting us anywhere. Um, And so she actually imagines, and I think she's probably correct, that for um, a lot of these TERFs or gender critical feminists, that they might also be operating from a place of fear and trauma, you know, Um, and that they may also have experienced um, violence probably at the hands of men. And they're projecting that and assuming that trans women being in spaces or whatever is dangerous for them. Um, And it's trans women do not make spaces dangerous, but trauma is complicated and people can feel fear, you know? And so Kai Cheng Tom is like, what would, what would it be like if we had compassion for that? And we tried to find common ground and to actually see what, what trans women and cis women who are 
TERFs or criti- gender-critical feminists had in common, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually what they have in common is, like, living under the system of patriarchy and dealing with violence from men, like, to be honest. And so there might be a lot of common ground there to actually work together. <laughs> like, there might be a lot of common ground. And I can understand why trans women don't want to extend that generosity first. Absolutely, that makes sense. But I also think somebody has to extend that that generosity. Um, and as thinkers on the left, like, we can be some of those people. Yeah, we can start to try to carve out that space. Um, so I just, um, I wanted to read, like, a couple quotes from the article just because I think Kai Cheng Tom says it so much more beautifully than than I'm able to say it. She's an incredible writer. Um, she says, I don't want to spend my time and energy fighting with feminists. I don't want to have to fear people with whom I suspect I have rather more in common than it might seem. I want to know what will it take to heal the divide between trans people and cis queers who might once have been our friends and chosen family. So I think that's like fucking beautiful. Um, And then at the end, like throughout this, she's talking about this like acquaintance that she had when she was like younger and who she's fallen out of touch with. And they both gone their separate ways. And this acquaintance that she had turned out to become a turf. Um, And so she's been thinking about um, this person and imagining like what, what it might be like if they ever became like, you know, not friends again necessarily, but if they ever were going to have a conversation in the future. Um, and she, she imagines like arguing and both of them like kind of not being able to, um, find common ground. And then she writes, it might go on like that for a while, but then I imagine we'd find a way out of it. We'd agree to disagree at least for now. We'd start talking about the other things that we believe in, the things we're afraid of, the naive, idealistic things we hoped for when we were younger that have not come to pass, an actual global response to the climate crisis, a mass unionization of gig economy workers, a people's revolution that totally upends capitalism and creates a new world where everyone is free and has everything they need to live good lives. Eco-socialism. And I'm just like, ah, you know, like, fuck yes, you know? And I'm like, it is fucking hard to have the generosity and compassion that Kai Cheng Tom is offering in this piece, but it is so admirable and it's something that I really believe in. And I'm like, yes, you know, all of us need those things. And if we are busy fighting each other, we can't work together, you know? And so I definitely think that this goes to like any um, any gender critical feminists who might be listening to this pod, it's like, I would invite you to think about whether or not trans women are are really your enemy or if they're really the ones that are putting you in danger and if perhaps the danger might be coming from somewhere else. Um, and to people who are really upset about someone who was associated with J.K. Rowling, like, four times removed, you know, I would ask us to consider, like, if that is the best way to actually defend trans people or to come to a place of, like, solidarity and working together towards our goals. Yeah, for sure. You know? For sure. So, yeah. I kind of had to go down that path because this cancellation had to do with um, J.K. Rowling and had to do with gender-critical feminism and so on and so forth. Stuart Parker is definitely not a gender-critical feminist in any kind of way. Um, It seems like for him, what his main thing is, is that he really wants— to be and he he said this in an interview um that we watched recently that he really wants there to be like a public square for like intellectual debate on the left 
And when we decide that, like, you know, even discussing these issues is immediately, like, violence and is immediate, is immediately, like, bad and can't be done, like, we crush our ability to, like, have a conversation, you know? And, like, I actually would like to be able to talk to people who are TERFs and who think that trans women are dangerous. I would actually like it if they didn't feel like they couldn't say what they think because I would like to talk to them because I'm a survivor and like I understand what it means to feel incredibly unsafe and to want to create spaces where you can feel safe. I just think it's like totally misdirected in thinking that that trans women are not making a space safe. Like, you know, and I think I could have a conversation with someone about that and really like validate how they're feeling, especially if they're like a survivor of sexual violence, like I am too. And I can talk to them about how they want to create spaces where they feel safe and how might we do that and how we, how might we create cultures that support survivors and that reject sexual violence and that keep everyone safe. And then I might suggest that trans women also experience sexual violence and also need spaces where they feel safe and also need community where they are loved and protected, you know, and that we could do that together. And so I can't have that conversation, though, if the people who think these things are literally not allowed to speak about it. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of like a, I'm sure we'll talk about this topic again because it's definitely one of the the uh, topics in the nexus that comes up a lot. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, Stuart Parker, he was canceled pretty brutally. Um, and I just like, it happened so fast, right? Like that post calling him a transphobe went up and then he resigned the next day. So it's like, that's how fast the pace of like cancellation and social media happens. And I think that those of us who are taking part in these campaigns, who are just clicking like share, um, you know, we think we're doing a good thing. We aren't really aware of the full impact of um, our actions and like how cumulative it is. Um, and like the end result was that the BC eco-socialists didn't run in the election. And I'm like, is that the result that any of us wanted? Like, how does that help anyone? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a really strong example of the nexus undermining real material political organizing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know. Do you feel like I did an okay job there? It was amazing. Um, <laughs> I tried my best. I tried my best. You crushed that for sure. Um, yeah, it's really important to me that like, in when talking about these issues that like the trans women in our audience feel fucking safe and, and welcome and it's also important to me that <laughs> that the turfs in our audience feel safe and welcome. <laughs> um, it's true, though. Like, I don't want people to feel like they can't be a part of the conversation, even if I don't agree with everything that they say. And even if I take strong issue with some of it, I want to be able to be I want to be generous and have the conversation and and figure out what's going on and what you need and like how can we help meet that together for sure man i've i've thought for a long time that the sort of divide between turfs and sort of i don't know what it would be called like mainstream queer yeah trans theory whatever yeah, yeah. um is like one of the things that absolutely just like desperately needs to be resolved in some way it's one of the things that is like really holding the left back yeah um and i don't know even like even within what's now like mainstream queer theory stuff, there's like huge oh, totally. like, disagreements. You know? And and even within like the trans community, there's like very, very different ideas of like what 
what is okay and, yeah. and, and, and what I think about things, you know? And, like, Kai Cheng Tong was literally called a turf yeah. for writing that article. I, that's what I was just going to say. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, like, when... Because Kai Cheng Tong experienced a lot of backlash for that article. She experienced... And I was, I was fucking, like, looking at her Facebook page, because I look at her Facebook page sometimes, and it was just, like, these people fucking calling her a turf. It was it was awful, and it was actually on Trans Day of Remembrance, which is absurd, um, and there was all of these people who were harassing her and calling her a turf. And this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, I'm sure those of you who are deep inside the Nexus know all about the cancellation of Natalie Wynn, our girl, ContraPoints, who yeah. we deeply love, yeah. also called a TERF. And so also I, trans. Also a trans woman. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, you know, we also have to think about the ways that these ideas can be weaponized against the very communities that, like, supposedly, like, how is it fighting trans misogyny to attack a trans woman for speaking her views about the best way to fight trans trans misogyny by calling her a turf, that doesn't make sense. And I also want to say that one of the things that Stuart Parker was saying was he was like, I actually know this lady, not J.K. Rowling, the, the activist lady. He's yeah. like, I know this lady. She's like, first of all, she's really fucking nice. Second of all, she yeah. doesn't hate trans people. Yeah. And actually, she's one of your, like, natural allies. Yeah. Like, she loves trans people and she's like a really nice lady and she's worked her whole life for like these very good causes, whatever, you know? And I'm, I'm always drawn back to this point that he makes. Um, but I've, I've thought about it a lot too, where I'm just like, okay, like th these people that we consider are like mortal enemies, the turfs yeah. are actually in a lot of ways, our natural allies. Yeah. Um, and what we end up with instead is this weird fucking situation where turfs are ganging up with like conservative, like evangelical Christians and shit over like certain, certain sort of like things that they might agree on with regards to, like, trans identity stuff. And then trans activists are doing things like nuking the left-wing parties. Yeah, for, or attacking or, 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 a popular trans writer who's, like, a very nice yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, like, splitting the trans... Yeah, you know... Attacking contrapoints and stuff, you know, for being whatever. Like, yeah, it's and just, like ridiculous. And so I'm like, I don't know if this is the best, the best use of our time. And like, honestly, you know, it's like maybe, yeah, like maybe together we could find a way to meet each other's needs. Um, and like, I like I, I already said it, but it's like I do want to talk to Turks and be like, maybe there's a way that we can that we can address what you're saying and still fully fucking make sure the trans women are okay and have what they need. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's impossible, you know? I just think that there's, like, a misunderstanding about what safety means and, like, how that works. Um, and as a trauma survivor and, like, everything, I feel like I could probably add a lot to that conversation. So I'd like to have it. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I'm just, like, I think it's really important, and I can't believe I forgot to bring it up, that, like, that Kai Cheng Tong herself was called a turf for even mentioning this, right? And so this is the way that, that the nexus works is that it it collapses all distinction like it turns turf like the word turf or like the word transphobic becomes this like it it becomes like a meaning unto itself and it means bad and it means dangerous and it means unacceptable and we, we need to get it out you know and so but we can start using that and and calling all of these different people that whether it's Stuart Parker whether it's Kai Chang Tom like based on who they're associated with, now they are are bad and they can't speak and whatever they say about any topic is, like, censored now, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, and I would say there there's, like, an extremely classic um, sort of character to this whole thing in that it, it really, like, brings home all these 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 um systems within the Nexus, you know? Yeah. One of them is, like, yeah, the, the whole, like, iceberg effect thing yeah. where it's just, like, 
any anything that sort of can be um, framed as being part of trans uh, of transphobia, yeah, um, then becomes transphobia itself, right? exactly. Um, and or if it's like tangentially related to transphobia or whatever, it becomes transphobia. And transphobia is not just like not liking trans people; it's like um, genocidal, it's uh, murderous, you know. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, this other like way that it plays into this like nexus system, which is, as you were mentioning, the infectious principle yeah. or the transitive principle yeah. um, of cancellation, which is just that like it jumps from person to person. Yeah. Like being the oppressor jumps from person to person and it doesn't like have every time it jumps, it doesn't get smaller. It stays the same or gets bigger sometimes, yeah. you know? So it's like J.K. Rowling, Billboard, this random lady, Stuart Parker, us. us. <laughs> Right. Yeah, now it's us. Um, and, and now, guys, it's you for listening to the exactly. podcast. You're fucked. Um, um, we're kidding. We're kidding. Sort of. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how it works. It's transitive like that. And yeah. And so I'm almost like this Nicola Sperling girl, like, well, girl, fully grown adult woman. Yeah. Um, is like not even important. It's like this is the nexus doing its nexus yeah. thing. It fucking happens like almost by itself at this point, you yeah. know? Uh, the individual actors certainly like take part in it, yeah. but like it's a whole fucking system, man. That like that just is rolling. Yeah, and I mean it's it's a system that is made up with of so many, um, you know, so many small actions and choices that are made often without thinking. And part of that has to do with the fact that we are totally discouraged from thinking, even questioning this, or having this conversation, or stopping to wonder, huh? Is is Stuart Parker transphobic because he's said that it was not okay to harass someone who was being harassed because she stood up for a billboard that stood up for someone else. Like, if you even question that at all, people can then call you transphobic. And so a lot of people just immediately, they want to do the right thing and they just, like, jump on the cancellation train. Um, so, yeah, we're going to unpack these ideas, like, lots, lots more in future episodes. Absolutely. This was sort of, like, a bit of a, it kind of moved us off of our original topic of eco-socialism. However, I don't think these things are ever really separate because yeah. every single time that we're trying to, you know, go on this quest for the offline left and we're trying to find, um, you know, material, concrete, political work that is happening in the world, we're going to keep running into the nexus and we're going to keep running into people getting canceled for various things. We're going to keep getting running into these identitarian debates. Um, and so we actually need to unpack them and talk about them and like feel comfortable doing that even though it's really scary and can definitely get you canceled. Yeah. We should probably wrap it up. Yeah. Um, do you have any like parting thoughts? Um, I would just say read Kai Cheng Tom's um, paper. We'll put it in, in the show notes. I think it's really um, important. And if you want to check out um, Stuart Parker's work, we'll also put his blog um, in in the show notes and yeah he's also like a scholar and has like a lot of interesting work on his website totally yeah and uh, check us out on patreon if you feel like it patreon.com slash fucking cancelled with two l's thanks everyone thanks j'ai entendu du monde dire que je suis un OG